Logs are the source of truth. If a company is sufficiently instrumented, the logging data that streams off of the internal infrastructure can be refined to tell a comprehensive story for what is changing across that infrastructure in real time. This includes logins, permission changes, and other events that could signal a potential security compromise. Datadog is a company that was built around log management, metric storage, and distributed tracing. More recently, they've also built tools for monitoring the security of an organization. Detecting security threats can be achieved by alerting on known security risks, or pieces of information that could be indicative of a vulnerability. Mark Trimsall is an engineer at Datadog who joins the show to talk through security monitoring. Full disclosure, Datadog is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Pleasure being here. We're talking about security today, and I'd like to start off with a broad question. What does security mean in a world where everybody is on the cloud? That's a great question. So historically, the security team was looking at the entire stack, right, and had full responsibility for essentially everything. Nowadays, when you think of building on the cloud for the cloud services you use, this is a shared responsibility. So something we hear a lot about is not really, oh, I'm worried about AWS or GCP having vulnerabilities, but really my own developers and operations potentially misconfiguring one of these services and suddenly, you know, a, an AMI is open to the internet and all things like that, right? And so it's a lot more about configuration food guns that can lead to data leaks, for example, and at least at the cloud level, a bit less about purely the, the security of the services themselves, if that makes sense. Interesting. So the underlying systems, you can generally trust them, but you may not be able to trust yourself to configure it properly to be secure. Sure. And think about it. Like Google's security team is, you know, best in class, massive. You would be hard-pressed to reproduce this kind of expertise for your own stack, you know, running in your own data center. But if you don't understand the identity and access management model of GCP, maybe you make a configuration mistake and GCP is going to have a hard time protecting you against that, right? So it's more a lot more about these configuration issues and a bit less about actual techniques that attackers can use against you, at least for that level. Everything you build on top, obviously, very much the same as before. What are the kinds of security threats from an external perspective that companies, organizations should be worried about? Well, so I think a lot of these techniques, they haven't necessarily changed as much, but the way they get implemented is, is pretty different. What would be a good example? So let's say somehow you get a foothold in the environment as an attacker and you're looking for valuable data to exfiltrate. Um, usually you would, uh, you know, check, I don't know what uh, NFS you have access to, but here you're in the cloud. So maybe you'll enumerate S3 buckets instead, right? And so if you see an EC2 instance enumerating S3 buckets, maybe that's a scanner that you have for compliance reasons. Maybe that's something else. And so that's an example like of a specific technique that you would be able to detect. And it's interesting how the objectives and the techniques, some are new, but by and large, a lot of the same ideas, uh, a lot of the same goals that attackers could have still exist. But now to be able to detect them, you need a 
pretty good knowledge of how each cloud provider works, if that makes sense. How do the vulnerabilities on the application side, maybe like the mobile application, differ from the infrastructure side, the backend side? Well, so that side is still very much your own responsibility as a, as a developer, right? And there you're a bit less worried about configuration, although there are also food guns, and more about not just vulnerabilities, but also increasingly you see security teams worrying about overall forms of abuse, right? And, and how can I protect my own customers, for example? So, of course, you still have like the OWASP top 10, you know, like a SQL injection and, and things like that. And how could an attacker uh, get in? But increasingly at the application layer, you see teams, security teams, I mean, worry about things like account takeovers. So one of my customer reuses passwords. No one should, but that happens a lot in real life. And suddenly you see, you know, a specific IP or a set of IPs trying out username password combinations like, across your environment and most of them fail but if a handful succeed maybe that's a successful credential stuffing attack right and that means potentially someone now has taken over the account of one of your customers is that your responsibility to protect your customer against this kind of attack ideally yes and this is fairly new uh, this is not necessarily something that uh, purely application security was was looking at before, but increasingly when we talk about application security, we talk about this form of abuse as well. What are the role of the cloud providers in modern security? What guarantees do the cloud providers have to give to the application developers? Usually they're pretty explicit about that. They'll have a uh, shared responsibility model where they say explicitly, this is what I provide you in terms of guarantees. And actually a lot of that is backed by uh, certifications and you know adherence to various uh, compliance frameworks and so on and then they'll tell you to achieve these objectives here are uh, good practices that you should implement and things you should pay attention to so it, it's interesting right you still need to trust that obviously the the services are safe to to operate but we're talking about massive very well-funded security teams with highly skilled people uh, so really it comes down to do i understand what this service does and and, and the the security model for it right again uh, identity and access management in particular is quite hard to understand and very different from cloud provider to cloud provider and it's pretty easy to make a mistake and not realize that you know through a combination of parameters turns out this s3 bucket is actually accessible from the internet and in the situation where I am running my infrastructure on the cloud provider, I make some mistake in configuring my security settings. What kinds of things can go wrong and how do I ameliorate those problems? So more and more, you'll see security providers actually try to be proactive and tell you. I think a, a good example is last December, AWS started a service called IAM Access Analyzer, and um, the goal of the, of the feature is to tell you if some resources in your environment are wide open to the internet or other AWS accounts. And I mean, the reason for this service to even exist is because that's, that's something that happens a lot and by accident, and that used to be the cause of not just concern, but you know, actual incidents quite a bit. 
the way they approach the problem is a separate conversation. It's quite fascinating, you know, using formal reasoning and uh, I think a lot of the research around the service called Zerkova. But the, the key point there is they are now delivering services that will try to actively tell you if the way in which you use other services is potentially dangerous and not what you intended. So of course it still remains your responsibility to read the documentation and be careful or by supporting services that will help you put guardrails in place. Uh, but more and more, um, the cloud providers themselves, they have security services that will tell you about potential threats that exist in your environment and even potential misconfigurations, um, at least the, the more common ones. What's your background? How did you get into security monitoring? Well, so um, I'm part of the product team at Datadog. We're a SaaS company. You know, we provide engineers with monitoring and analytics so that they can keep uh, applications uh, up and running and, and secure. And before that, I was actually part of the team looking at how to secure the application itself. Uh, and before that, I was, I was a consultant. But very much the the concerns of the security teams in speaking with them and uh, looking at what Datadog was doing at the time, mainly for developers and operations around detailed observability data and how that could be used by developers and operations. That also started a number of conversation around using that same data to detect potential threats and investigate security issues. And more and more, we had customer demand for Datadog to also address the use cases of the security team. So all of engineering, you know, not just developers and operations, but also security teams as well. And that's the inception of um, what is now the security monitoring product, which is what I'm focusing on uh, right now. Datadog historically has done lots of monitoring, logging, and APM. So what additional steps do you have to take to implement a security monitoring system? That's a good question. So at its most basic level, a lot of the data is, is directly useful, which is very interesting because traditionally a lot of security products were very focused on um, logs and events, right? Consolidating them, normalizing them, analyzing them. And, and that was the foundation for a lot of security. And modern observability has a few different tools that can be used for different use cases. So you mentioned APM, right? So you have traces and you're going to look at a single transaction uh, from end to end across a distributed environment. And that's a great way to look at causality in the environment. So for operational issues, for example, you know, some latency increase as perceived by the end user, and maybe it's caused by some, uh, you know, unoptimized SQL query all the way back towards the, the database. And it's very interesting to see how a lot of that detailed data and these new tools that you have can also be used for securities. Uh, logs and events remain the, the foundation of a lot of that. The things that conceptually, at a very conceptual level, what's different is that operational issues, you tend to look for fairly noticeable trends in the sense that uh, even if you're talking about something very localized like a, an increase in latency for a specific browser version, you know, in a specific country, it's, you know, bad luck, the intersection of a number of factors contribute to an operational issue. You're still looking for something that's very organic, so to speak. On the security side, 
you are working against an intelligent attacker, uh, at least very often. A lot of it is automated, but uh, but you're looking against people who are going to try to hide their tracks and be deceptive. And so the kind of technology and algorithm you use, it's a lot more about finding the needle in the haystack while still keeping a signal-to-noise ratio very good and a bit less about finding these major patterns that try to explain more significant changes in the environment. Do you see what I mean? I do. And tell me more about the how security teams would be using a product like this. So there are a couple of things here. The first one is, we say security teams, but really security nowadays for most companies we see, it's also the responsibility of developers and operations. It's, it's a shared responsibility, a shared burden. And so there are a few things there. One is security teams, they're not just using the product, but also uh, trying to enable the rest of the organization, right? If you think of, I mean, for us on the engineering side, it's easy to look back at the DevOps movement. And now in hindsight, a lot of these changes were very obvious, but you think about what used to be sysadmins and figuring out how to apply an engineering mindset and help developers deploy and run software reliably. Well, what's happening right now with security teams is very similar. You no longer really have these teams that just say, no, don't deploy this. It's, uh, you know, it has vulnerabilities X and Y that have been found. We're going to do a pen test, it's going to take weeks. They're more focused on how can I bake a lot of my security expertise into the tools that developers and operations already use so that they have visibility into what they're doing. They can, as they iterate you know, on software versions and, and so on, they can also use these iterations to address specific vulnerabilities that are surface or implement some good practices that I have identified. So, so it's really more about enabling. Now, a lot of the more traditional responsibilities of the security team remain, right? They're still, by and large, the ones writing the logic for threat detection, for example, for enforcement of configurations that are you know, known to be safe, um, also for responding to potential security incidents. But to go back to your question, how do they use this data and these tools? It, like the, the long answer uh, that I just gave, it really boils down to enabling developers and operations to really do their job and have security be a part of that. And then also uh, use that more detailed observability data for their more traditional responsibilities. I saw an interview where you said that people are moving into a world in which security must become a shared responsibility across engineering teams to address the increased complexity and scale of environments. What do you mean by this idea of shared responsibility? Well, so going back to this example of how the DevOps movement you know, changed the relationship between developers and operations, and it's very much the same thing here. Um, you had developers pick up pages, and now they're partially responsible for making sure software is reliable, and that's how you align incentives between developers and operations, right? Because I'm no longer tossing software to sysadmins to ops and hoping that it runs and if it doesn't it's their problem I'm, I might get paid for this so I have skin in the game and, and on the security side it's the same thing happening and the reason for it is I mean it's really the complexity and velocity of the environment it's just changing so fast so if you have a security team of a fixed size and you have 
you know, 10 times as many engineers in the organization, 20 times as many engineers. And now they're moving, they're working on systems that are very complex, especially with, you know, microservices and containers and, and they're deploying multiple times a day. I mean, there's really no chance that I'm going to be able to stay on top of all of the things that are happening. I'm going to have to equip the people who know their systems best to be on the front line of that and, and have some ownership of the security process. And so we're seeing a lot of these transformations that took maybe 10 years for the DevOps movement to happen, being very accelerated right now for, for security teams where maybe two years ago, we, we had some of these exchanges with, with customers and companies already. And now it's even more conservative, conservative you know, enterprise security teams, as soon as they migrate to the cloud, I would say, they're starting to look at security as this, as this shared responsibility. And how can I, with a size of a fixed, with a team of a fixed size, how can I enable the rest of the organization? Instead of doing, how can I automate a lot of that knowledge in terms of guardrails, in terms of de detection, in terms of remediation as well? So the term security monitoring, I'd like to go a little bit deeper on that. Security monitoring works on detecting whether logs match certain detection rules. And yeah, I'd just like to know more about how that works and how it's useful. Well, so we try to have product names that are pretty descriptive. And the product very much monitors the security of applications and environments. So that's the most straightforward name we could find to describe that. Uh, in the rest of the market, you'll sometimes, you'll sometimes hear uh, security analytics or a combination of other words. Um, you know, the, there's certainly like a, a larger market, uh, especially uh, on-prem called Security Incident and Event Management or SIEM, uh, that also has quite a bit of overlap with some of these uh, use cases. For how to do that, yeah, at the most basic level, you are looking at the environment. You're looking at the environment in two main ways. One is changes that are happening in the environment and, and logs are a really good way to convey that. Uh, the other one is you're, because looking at changes obviously only catches what's moving, um, especially for compliance, the other way in which you look at the environment is to look at the entire state of the environment in a continuous manner and whether some aspect of that state could be uh, non-compliant for external frameworks, but also potentially unsafe internally, you know. And analyzing that, well, you have a number of techniques that you can use to analyze the state and the events of the environment. Certainly a foundation of that is to look at events collectively for a specific stream, let's say all authentication events, and try to look for specific patterns. So for authentication events, maybe you start to look at per user, you know, spikes in failed logins, very high anomalies could be a brute force attack. And if that ends up with a successful authentication attempt, you know, uh, potentially the attack landed and now you have an account takeover to, to deal with. So on the engineering side, you know, at the most foundational level, you're really talking about asking stateful queries over a stream of data, uh, especially a stream of um, ingested events. Collecting logs and metrics and detecting whether they fit to certain rules in real time has some engineering difficulties. Can you tell me about the engineering challenges for implementing this? 
Yeah, absolutely. So for the first of all, there's there's the role, you know, log management layer of that. You know, how do you safely intake data, process it at very high scale, very low latency, make it searchable, and that's the more general, you know, observability world. I mean, that's really the, the one of the main challenge challenges that the that observability products try to solve is is all of that, um, being able to do alerting on top as well and analytics from a security standpoint. The kind of analysis where you look at a stream of data to run stateful queries, uh, the, this is sometimes called complex event processing. On the, in the open source world, you might look at something like Apache Flink, for example, as a, as a good example of the ability to essentially ask SQL queries against that stream of data, right? And how do you do that? So now it's not like batch base is really as as the data flows in and, and you start looking for those patterns these are still fairly modern technologies uh, i mean we don't use flink per se but the the concepts apply the uh, they are not easy to develop they are not easy to maintain but to answer some of the challenges around real-time detection very high cardinality in terms of entities it's a it's one of the technologies that can help answer these challenges. And have you spent much time getting into the implementation of that, the the Flink or other stream processing systems that are used? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a big part of the security monitoring product is an implementation that's security focused, uh, but for this specific kind of, of logic. And I say security focused, but it's, it's a platform approach and there are operational use cases that um, look very similar to that as well, although without the pattern matching or anomaly detection aspect of that, right? So if you think of, for example, calculate, we're essentially talking about a distributed like MapReduce operation on a, on a stream. So for example, can I take all of the events that are part of a single session and continuously build that session as an object that is going to be viewable and searchable within the, the application? And this is not a security example, but this is a, another, like, sessionization would be another use case that would be quite adequate for this kind of complex event processing technology. And with all these logs, you have to decide how to index them in order to, to sort them. How do you index and sort logs that are coming in so that you can scan them properly for security questions, detect, security detection rules? So... Datadog is a bit unique there. We don't actually make this determination on behalf of customers. That's uh, something the, the product, the, an architecture we call logging without limits. And what, what we do is we actually decouple ingestion from indexing. So we're going to ingest all of the logs. We're going to pass them, normalize them, enrich them as well, you know, with uh, GYP, uh, lookups, threat intelligence, and so on. And on that data that has been enriched, we're going to send all of that to customer archives. We're going to let customers search that in real time, essentially a, a tail minus F across your entire environment. And now from a security standpoint with the security monitoring product, we're going to make sure that the threat detection rules actually apply to the entire stream of ingested logs after they've been normalized and enriched. So here there's no, there's no choice to make for us or for the customer. We'll just normalize, enrich, and analyze all of it. 
Now, after that, customers do decide what portion of that is valuable to them at a specific point in time, and they'll write filters and say, okay, I, I don't really care about debug logs uh, most of the time. Please index everything else. And if they change their mind, that's fine. They don't need to redeploy anything. We actually make this determination or we let them decide what to index directly in the app. So they might decide to say, oh, okay, it looks like I have an incident going on. I, I want to see the shape of these debug logs that I don't usually care about. I'm going to index, you know, 1% of them just to see samples of what's happening and, and whether there's a trend over time. So yeah, the short answer is we don't, we don't actually decide for customers. We empower them to make that determination. As far as I can tell, that's pretty unique uh, in the market, but it's uh, one of the features that you know, our customers seem most excited about, having this control over cost and over what's valuable to them and how to maximize value for them. Besides the real-time detection of rules that might appear in logs, you know, such as problematic logins or problematic files entering certain domains that, that might cause a security risk, what are the other kinds of requirements that you need to have for a security monitoring system? Oof, there, there's a lot. I, I think it's useful here to take a step back and look at some of the goals that a security team might have, you know, starting from simple visibility. I want to know what's happening in the environment, uh, then to detection. Let me know if something malicious or anomalous happens. And this is where the pattern matching technology we talked about, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, beyond that, you have things like investigation and response and building resiliency, sort of a, a maturity curve, right? From visibility to detection to investigation and so on. Accelerating triage and investigation, uh, there, there's a number of ways to, to look at that, but a lot of it comes down to making it very, very easy for users to pivot on underlying entities, right? So you see that there's some kind of signal. A, an EC2 instance has a CPU spike and it's an outlier compared to the rest of the cluster, which is interesting. You can't quite explain it. Hey, that, is anything else happening on this EC2 instance? And maybe you have a finding from a third-party security product, let's say GuardDuty, and it's telling you, oh, actually, this, is, this instance is calling out to uh, a domain known to be attached to a crypto mining scheme, right? Okay, that's why I have a CPU spike. And, and that's like a very simple example, but the ability to pivot on entities, by entities, I mean anything that's related to the attacker, you know, like a IP, the ASN, the user agent, uh, but also the, the, the targets, right? So host, containers, accounts, and being able to use this map of entities to see, to visualize, essentially the graph of uh, security signals and how they could be related together to retrace and then to an attack. That's a big part of how uh, we can accelerate investigation. A, a very, very simple incarnation of that, by the way, is just a dashboard, right? Uh, you have an IP uh, that's involved in a signal and you say, okay, just tell me everything you know about this IP. And now you're looking at uh, all of the logs tied to that, but you're also looking at uh, potentially flow logs, you're using, looking at the list of sample transactions that were captured where this IP was involved, whether there's any threat intelligence tied to it, all in one you know, place. And so even something as simple as a, as a dashboard with all of that information in one place that's already pre-aggregated for you, that's, that's where a lot of teams start when they think about accelerating investigations. 
And the landscape of products out there, there are a lot of different tools for security, security monitoring. This is more of a vertically integrated security monitoring and logging solution that comes with the other Datadog tooling. Can you explain how the the vertical integration compares to how other platforms might work in case I'm like piecing my own platform together? And are there advantages to having control over that total configurability? Uh, definitely. So if you're piecing your own security stack together, you're probably doing two main things. One is you're building some kind of uh, real-time detection and alerting pipeline, essentially an ETL pipeline. Uh, there are open source products that, that help do that for, by the way, uh, things like, you know, uh, Stream Alert, which I think was uh, invented over at Airbnb. And th that's usually coupled with some kind of way to ask ad hoc queries over large volumes of data, especially in the past, essentially a data lake. And if you want a managed offering for that, you know, in AWS, maybe that's Athena. On GCP, maybe that's uh, something like BigQuery. So we definitely see some teams try to roll their own stack. Th there are a couple limitations with, with that approach. I mean, it, it works really well if you have the expertise and the time, but the main one is that security teams usually would rather focus on something else rather than building up the platform from scratch. They would rather focus on actually writing the detection logic and running the investigation and building guardrails. So certainly, you know, having something that's more turnkey goes a long way. But the, the other thing there is it's a lot of data and a lot of that is already being collected by developers and operations. So duplicating it, you know, there are cost and performance concerns associated with that. Uh, and finally, Again, who's going to consume that data? Well, if you think it's going to be the security team and just the security team, then having a siloed stack makes a lot of sense. Uh, and certainly that was the case for many, many years. But if what you're looking to do is expose that data to developers and operations, you need to find them where they work, right? And it turns out that's already where a lot of that data is. So then why duplicate it? And, and so that's why, at least for us, it was very, very obvious that there was this need in the in the market, right? And we had security teams and also developers and operations asking about us tackling these these security use cases. It's because of this consolidation. Uh, you could say, you know, there's some amount of normalization of security within the larger engineering organization. I mean, at Datadog, the security team, it's a security engineering team, right? Uh, we're trying to solve security problems and challenges by applying engineering techniques. And if that's how you think about security, well, then it becomes harder to think, oh, okay, I'm going to have completely siloed tools and practices. And, and this is where this, you said, you know, vertically integrated approach. And I, I think that I agree with that. This is where this kind of approach makes the most sense. The volume of logs that can be collected and scanned in this kind of situation can be voluminous. Do you know much about the, the scalability properties of how you scale the log management systems along with the security monitoring situation? <laughs> That's the secret sauce, isn't it? it? It's a hard problem. It's a big part of what we do, and it's a big part of why customers come to us. That's very much our expertise. I'll say this. It's easier to to scale these systems um, as a as a SaaS product, where you're 
you have entire teams dedicated to the problem across you know aggregated volumes to some extent if you're if you're part of a team within a, a specific organization and there's only one or two people running these systems and they become you know uh, critical and now you're on call and there are two people you know, this is where the the DIY approach breaks down a little bit is when the systems become very critical and certainly observability and security systems are considered business critical nowadays. So the how we do it, I can't really get into too many of the, of the details, but the short answer is that it's just easier to do that as your main business with you know hundreds of engineers trying to solve that problem than it is with a much smaller team uh, that's focused on shipping features and observability is just a, a side job. One last thing is, you know, for us, when you think about scalability for security, I mean, if you can scale to handle all of the observability data that you generate for DevOps use cases, security doesn't necessarily generate more information, you know, on the, on the contrary. So in many ways, when we approach the design of the security monitoring product, outside of the complex event processing part, a lot of the scalability challenges were very much solved on the more fundamental level of intaking data, processing it, indexing it, archiving it, you know. So it's, uh, it's an integrated platform and that was certainly, that made it much easier for us to focus on what was unique about security as opposed to the scalability and reliability challenges which are shared across all observability products and use cases. So if I'm a user and I want to implement the right rule set, the right things to scan for as I'm setting up security monitoring, how do I determine what to do, what to set up, and what to be looking for, what kinds of threats to be looking for? So outside of the product, you know, there are a number of communities that share their knowledge and even package these techniques. For security specifically, there's a, an open source format that we see now and then called uh, Sigma that's going to try to convert these rules across different products and, and, and technologies. W within Datadog specifically, uh, I mean, detection rules are just uh, code, right? Uh, essentially, each one is a, a JSON file, so you would manage it the same way you would everything else, which is as code. We have APIs for them, you know, um, down the road, probably a Terraform provider. And so if you're managing the versions of your, your rules in your repository, you already have a change management process for it, right? So it's, uh, again, it's just a, an engineering, a normal engineering way to, to look at iterating on, on this kind of logic. The, for techniques that are widespread uh, and that we know you're going to care about, we'll also just package that content on behalf of customers uh, so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a fairly popular uh, framework that uh, security teams have been using recently called the, the MITRE attack framework that is going to look at all of these potential techniques that attackers might be using and you know when in the life cycle of an attack they're using them, what they would call tactics, right? So all the way from intrusion to lateral movement to exfiltration of data. And for each of these techniques, there are ways to detect them depending on the underlying technology. Certainly, if we, if we know how to detect that, we're just going to package that knowledge so that it's there when you start using the product. But yeah, there are a number of communities out there that share this knowledge. It's you know, 
publicly outside of the research that's specific to what we do. Some of the basics, if you're just getting started and you're a smaller organization, there's a lot of uh, knowledge shared on, on the internet by people who research these things uh, very actively. If I'm a user and I'm detecting a threat, what is the way to respond to that? Maybe describe a typical threat and what my response would be as a developer working on this system. That's a great question. So we sometimes call that step where you first see a, an alert or um, a signal about something that might have gone wrong. We sometimes call that triage. And there are a couple of determinations that you can make and uh, of actions that you would take. The first one, obviously, is if something is obviously malicious or a compliance issue, you're going to start investigating it and treating it as an incident. Um, this is very similar to the experience of being on call on the uh, SRA side or on the developer side. If it's not obvious what's happening, you're starting an investigation, everything you do might eventually turn into an incident, uh, you just don't know maybe the impact yet or the severity. So that's, that's one branch of that decision tree. It's also very possible that you were alerted and something you know turns out to be benign. Maybe, for example, it's non-good behavior. Uh, yes, these instances are doing something weird, but that's because they're part of my CI-CD pipeline and they have, I know they have a compiler that's actually completely normal. What you're going to do then is you're going to say, okay, for all of these rules that detect these specific techniques, I'm going to allow entities that have the specific tags like the uh, CI-CD environment to not trigger or to, to mute the resulting alerts and, and signals. Another potential determination that you might make is that you have a false positive, meaning uh, the rule detected something that you were not actively trying to detect. The answer there is usually to flag the data, look at the underlying data and, and use that as a test case to write a, an updated version of the rule that hopefully is going to not have this issue in the future, meaning it's going to have better signal to noise. And finally, the last case, I, you don't typically do that as a triage activity, but if you have a, a false negative, right, if you actually miss something, I mean, you're most likely going to write a new rule. That's not something you would find in triage usually, unless it's part of a larger incident, but maybe you're threat hunting, right? You believe you have detection for specific kinds of techniques and it turns out that your red team or an external pen tester actually tried that and you didn't see it. Well, what kind of data is available to me to write corresponding logic? So yeah, um, triage, you know, you think of it as like the 30, 60 seconds it takes me to review a, a specific alert. And these are some of the, some of the branches in that decision tree that I can make. What's the retention period for security data? How does it differ from retention periods for other logs and metrics? Obviously, that's up to you. At least for us, we, we retain all security signals for 15 months as a, as a baseline. And the underlying data, especially logs, typically customers will want, uh, it depends, you know, but like 30, maybe 90 days of warm data for things that are almost always useful. And then they'll want one to even seven years, depending on external compliance frameworks that apply of archives available for forensics and, and compliance audits. But even for the, for the signals themselves, the, the reason that you typically have a fairly long retention, in this case, like 15 months for, for signals, is because 
I think we don't necessarily, on the development and operation side, we're very focused on real-time data. It's a bit more unusual to go back a year. The only example is, you know, you're preparing for Black Friday and you want to see what kind of spike you had the year before. And so you have metrics for the past 15 months and that's great because it helps you do forecasting from year to year, right? But that's mostly an exception. The rest of the time you're focused on real-time data. On the security side, interestingly, the average dwell time, like the average time for an attack to be detected from the moment it started and the attacker got a foothold in the environment to the moment the company is actually aware of it, it's something like 200 days, right? So the a lot of these attacks take a long, long time for the company to be notified by a third party or for the attacker to trigger an alarm, maybe when they try to exfiltrate data, something fairly late in the life cycle of the attack. And so having long-term data there is very useful to be able to connect the dots, especially if we're talking of, about one of these slow attacks that unfolds over a number of you know places in the environment and the attacker pivoting from place to place all the way until the moment when they find something valuable. So yeah, definitely a, a different time frame, a different time scale than for operational use cases where real-time data is the name of the game. What are the outstanding issues with the platform? What are the sources of technical debt or what kinds of problems are you focused on today? That's a great question. So, I mean, obviously there's uh, no shortage of things to do on a on any product, right? They, we have a uh, request for so many things. But there are a, a few classes of problems that I think are interesting. One is we, we talked about looking at patterns for potentially malicious activity, right? And on the security side, there are more advanced form of detections that you can use, you know, things like anomaly detection or even machine learning. I know the term is used left and right, but in this case, I mean, actual actual machine learning where detecting a specific technique, maybe at the uh, network layer, uh, you know, it makes more sense if you're looking across a, a number of dimensions you know, like the size of packet and the number of domains to connect to and to detect something like someone beaconing, you know, over DNS to connect to a to exfiltrate data, let's say. The really interesting thing there is that some of the, uh, the, the data science algorithms look a bit different for security use cases. Again, you're looking for the needle in the haystack, not necessarily for the more noticeable patterns that are uh, relevant. And so... For example, if you think of anomaly detection, you're going to end up having very high cardinality data that can be quite sparse, right? So there are certainly domains there where there's a lot of interesting R&D around tweaking algorithms so that they make sense for these use cases and not just for operational ones. So that's, that's one example. I don't know what another good example would be, but we, we talked about you know, connecting the dots based on the underlying graph of entities to reconstruct entire attacks that go end to end. Uh, th that's a, another domain, you know. Assisting and automating investigations, that's definitely another very interesting um, uh, challenge. Um, and, and the reason for that is that you are looking to correlate data, not just on fixed data points, but yeah, the, the underlying set of entities is essentially a graph. So it's a different data model, and how do you uh, wrangle with that uh, efficiently at scale 
to make sure it's still uh, very fast and, and very relevant. That's certainly something that occupies a, a number of uh, uh, very smart people on, on the team. I'm, I'm on the product side, so you know I just have to say this is what we should be doing and the how is uh, left as a question to the reader very often, or in this case, um, an engineer. Well, as we close off, is there anything around security monitoring that you think will change in the near future? Any subjects you'd like to bring up as we come to a close? I don't necessarily think things will change fundamentally. I mean, if anything, the product is a very solid foundation for for what it does. But the practices around security, they're changing very fast. For the past few years, the focus around baking security into other engineering practices that has been very focused on the CI/CD pipeline. You know, it's a natural point, right? Security teams look at this and think, okay, anything that goes into production, now I have control over it. I can look for vulnerabilities. I can run a number of checks. I can um, block developers if something goes wrong. And I think we're seeing a pretty big shift where uh, you, you still need to do that, obviously, but there's a limit to how much you can claim your infrastructure is immutable when you start taking into account, you know, attackers or, I mean, even potentially malicious insiders. And so a lot of the focus, it seems right now, is on continuous monitoring, real-time monitoring in the production environment. And over the next few years, I expect a lot of these practices that are still very nascent. That's where the we're going to see the, the main changes happening in the production environment as opposed to the CICD environment, which has been the focus so far. Okay. Well, it's been really great talking to you, and I look forward to, to seeing what develops in the future. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Pleasure being here.